Well, good evening, Cornerstone. How are you doing tonight? Were you here Sunday for Tim Brown? Was anyone here for Sunday for Tim Brown? Um, it was phenomenal. If you missed it, uh, a great, great testimony. And what we're talking about over the next couple of weeks, actually, Tim was mentioning as it pertains to his dad and his relationship with his dad. And I don't know what you were doing when he was talking, but I was looking up his stats and uh, particularly how much money that guy made. And uh, he made quite a bit. So um, God has blessed him. And it was just neat to see what God chooses to do, not only with his career, but now that his career is done, what's God going to choose to do with him? And what a powerful way to spend the rest of your life going around talking about how God is, is using you in, uh, in, in ministry and in his family and in his marriage. And um, what I liked about what he had to say was it wasn't all pretty, right? It, there were some ugly moments in his life. And as we look at these passages that we're going to look at tonight, I hope we all understand that, that the reason Paul writes the things he does at the end of Ephesians is because he's well aware that one of the primary causes of struggles in our life is marriage. Um, I don't need to read you statistics necessarily um, to conclude that our marriages affect those around us. But when we head down that road of a broken marriage and we run into that, that uh, the end of the line and I just can't do it anymore and, and half of America is now... Uh, somewhere uh, as a single parent because of divorce and uh, kids are growing up in single parent families. Um, I pulled this offline and, and, and it, it was just a reminder to me that what we're talking about here uh, isn't academic. It's not that we're getting together and deciding the, the higher theories of, of ecclesiology and what happens in the local church and But really, I believe that you're coming tonight and that I'm coming tonight because we want answers. God, help me discover when I leave this building and and, and walk out these doors, help me discover one more thing I can put, one more arrow I can put in in my quiver so I can become more Christ-like. Because the equation is simple. Throughout the Bible, the equation is simple. Obedience equals blessing. Disobedience equals discipline. And so when I'm obedient to God, we see the blessings in our lives. Uh, When I'm disobedient to God, God comes around gently, lovingly, but firmly and says, I've got to get you back on track. And that's going to sting a little. And when it involves especially somebody else, i.e. our spouse, we've got to really take hold of God. What do you want from us in terms of our marriages? Pastor Lynn's going to start this series next um, Sunday on it's complicated. And he's going to be talking about dating and relationships and how do we how do we go into a marriage as grounded and as sure as we possibly can. And that's that's the focus. And again, he invited all of us who are married to come back and because there's things that we can take out of that as as married couples. And, and what I find interesting, I have no idea, honestly, what Pastor Lynn's going to be speaking on. Um, but what I think is going to happen is what we tend to see in, in the way we think about finding a spouse, which is here's what you need to be looking for in a future mate. And so, um, 
you know, we, we can go down the list and, and here, here's godly and, and God-fearing. And, and, and I just wonder, as we look at this chapter tonight, I just wonder if we could flip that tonight. And rather ask the question, God, what's it going to take for me to find a successful mate? Rather, maybe we could look at it tonight, guys, and just say, God, what can I do to become the perfect mate for whomever you would have for me? We're all looking for Mr. and Mrs. Wright. I want my kids to find Mr. and Mrs. Wright. But maybe I should be about the business of training my kids up to become Mr. and Mrs. Wright. So if you're married here tonight, here's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is what we're talking about tonight doesn't just apply to those who haven't yet entered into marriage. It really, really applies to those who are already in marriage. Because you don't have to sit across the table and look at your spouse and try to fix them tonight. You don't have to lean over and nudge them tonight. But rather, we can put a giant mirror up here. And as we go through the different roles of husbands and wives, we can look at which one pertains to us or which one in the future will pertain to us and say, am I making wise choices that lead me down the path of becoming an excellent wife or an honorable husband? Does that make sense? So last week we had discussed this idea of wives. What does the Bible have to say to you in terms of becoming an excellent wife? Wow, I just gave myself a massive paper cut. I know. Man, that stung. Not having a good night. I was driving here over to Cornerstone, and I was in my own neighborhood, and I turned left, and I stopped, and and a kid was on his skateboard, and he thought I cut him off. I didn't. And he flips me off. So... So I stopped the van. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have, but I did. <laughs> and I just, I chased him down the green belt a little bit. It's <laughs> a little high school kid and he's with his buddies and here's the cool thing about that story. Complete side note here. By the way, I'm Greg Tonkins and I don't know if you know who I am. Um, but, uh, I teach over at Valley Christian high school and, uh, um, Really enjoy doing ministry with with teenagers, but um, the the cool thing was as as I was admonishing his friends who were admonishing me back um, through colorful language, the kid who ran away, who flipped me off, ended up coming back. Even though his friends were yelling at me and what are you doing and pick on people your own age and and he came back. And when he walked up to me, he's about six foot, I thought, this kid's going to swing at me. Like, what am I doing here? And he shook out his hand, and he stuck out his hand, and he said, I shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry. And so I shook his hand, and I said to his kids, his friends, you need to learn from this kid. I don't know how, what kind of friends you guys are, but you need to learn from this kid. Because we all make mistakes. And he owned up to it. I was really super proud of him. I believe in the next generation. I really do. Um, okay. Anyway, all to say, I'm having a bad night now. Um, we looked at this list last 
Tuesday. And here's what we generated, right? This is the list that we agreed was in the Bible. And so we're not discussing what do I think the role of a wife should be? What do you think the role is? But really, we went to God last week and said, God, according to Ephesians, some passages in Corinthians, Romans, and Titus, God, what do you say the role of a wife should be? And this is the list we generated. So if you weren't here last week, we discussed this idea that wives, your roles include being subject to your husbands and being subject to your husband in everything, as Ephesians 5.24 says. We discussed what that meant last, uh, last week, and what we concluded was being subject means to voluntarily come under. And we looked at a couple of cross-references, but the conclusion wasn't that I come in as a servant. It wasn't that I come in um, shackled, but that I come in voluntarily under my husband's leadership. We saw that in multiple passages last week. Titus says, ladies, love your husbands. Ladies, love your children if you have them. Uh, that you are married until death. That uh, you're to respect your husband. That there are sexual duties that you are to fulfill. That you are to manage your household, according to Titus. That there shouldn't be, there need not be any nagging, according to Solomon in Proverbs. And then Proverbs 6 um, it says uh, for moms to teach, their, to train up your children. Children, listen to your mother's teaching. And so there's, I, f- I feel like there are a few other things, but I feel like this is a good list to get us started in the area of, God, what is my role as a wife? Uh, we, we, we ended, I believe, last week on this idea of managing your household. And does that mean that I can't work or should work or shouldn't work. And, and, I've, and, and our conclusion was that there's nothing on this list that says, wife, you have to work. So if you do work, it's because you can make work fit into this. Okay, so we're not going to jeopardize this for 40 hours at b of a or 60 hours at intel we're going to do this well and if we can add work to that proverbs 31 i think was mentioned last week esther uh queen of persia uh deborah she was a judge so so we're, we're clear that women can hold responsibilities and titles and and we're not we're not debating that but what we're asking tonight is god what is my role to be if I, want to, if I want to die tomorrow and get to heaven and God for you to say, you didn't do everything great, but you did the wife thing great. You, you played the role of a wife very, very well. Well done. And I believe the, the pseudo checklist God will use, if you will, is this. Okay? Any questions before we move on to that? Because I ended saying we will now talk about the husband's. And I don't want to recap for the next hour. Uh, so we are going to talk about the husband. So any questions before we move on about this? Thoughts, comments? Good? Oh, right here. Absolutely. I'm sorry about that. Subject to husbands. Uh, love your husbands. Love your children. Uh, death do your part. Respect your husbands. Fulfill your sexual duties. Manage your household. No nagging teach your children. Okay.
Can you name the scriptures? Because um, I'm sorry, I can't read it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, a lot of Ephesians, Romans, Ephesians, Titus, Proverbs, and Proverbs. You get all those? <laughs> Um, yeah, these are Ephesians, Titus is here, Romans 7, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 7, Titus 2, Proverbs 21, Proverbs 6. That's where you're going to find that information, you bet. Yep, good questions. Okay, here we go. Take your Bibles out, let's go to Ephesians 5. And let's ask God what he has for husbands tonight then. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read the entire passage Uh, Because there's several things in here. So let me read the entire passage and then we'll go back and discuss um, the role of a husband. Pick it up in 521. Ephesians 5 chapter 20, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. Here we go. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. Verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing, the washing of water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Verse 28. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but rather he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And then Paul quotes Genesis 2, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is great, Paul says, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself. And he summarizes in verse 33, Let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Okay, so a lot is mentioned there. Let's just pick it back up in starting in 23. One of the things I want to make clear tonight, I guess, as we go into the role of the husband is we are different. And I don't think we need to be, um, we need to dodge that. We're different people, men and women. Uh, We just are. I asked my high school students the other day, why is it that, that generally speaking, Girls' handwriting looks different than guys' handwriting. Why is it that, generally speaking, um, my daughter, who is six, walked out of the house today with a backpack on with a little baby doll in the backpack? And she was pretending to be a mom at six. And why is it that my son, who's eight, didn't do that? Now, again, there's nothing wrong with those roles being flipped or boys playing with dolls or I'm not saying that at all, but generally speaking, we would all admit I will get more flyers on my door for 14-year-old girls who want to babysit than I will 14-year-old boys who want to babysit. Why is that? are, Are the girls going through some training that I'm not aware of? And so when you become 12 or 13, you go through some secret babysitting training and then you're ready. I mean, I, but rather is it innate? 
that a girl is more maternal and sees little kids and there's this instant bond. There's an instant attraction to spend time with them. And so let's just admit we're different. And Paul says, okay, if we're going to do that, and this goes all the way back to Genesis, where the roles of husband and wife really begin, and that's why he brings us back in Genesis 2, he begins in verse 23 saying, the husband is the head of the wife, so also Christ is the head of the church for he himself as the savior of the body. Now that's a title, not a role. Okay, so I don't want to list that up here necessarily, but that's a title, the husband is the head of the wife. Now again, we often think that that is very a, a dominant thing. But as we read this list, I hope you'll understand here, both men and women in the audience, this is a very demanding list. And when we get to the end, I don't think anyone who's reasonable here tonight can conclude, therefore, the husband has the role of domination. In fact, I think what we'll see is just the opposite. Okay, so look at verse 25. What is one of the roles of a husband according to verse 25? Love your wife, okay? So, and that's a big one. Interestingly enough, several verses tell us this. If you look at, if you read 525, love your wives. If you go down to 28, husbands also love their wives. If you go down to 33, husbands love your wives. Paul is making a point here. The point is husbands love your wives. Now, there are different words for love in the Bible. I think most of us are aware of a couple of them. And I want to bring this to your attention because this is the way a husband is to love his wife. Uh, the Greek is often very, very clear in the translation, but there's this one word love where the Greek, the, the, the language that the Bible in the New Testament was written in, the Koine Greek, it, it just translates love. But there are Actually, four different words used for love in Koine Greek. Three are used in the New Testament. Um, you would know uh, phileo love. Okay, so P-H-I-L-E-O, I believe, in the Greek. Okay, that's, that's a brotherly love. Uh, that's a friendship love. That's a friendly love. Interestingly enough, this word here in Titus, for wives, love your husbands and love your children, phileo. Okay? Every... Every word we have of love in Ephesians chapter 5 for husbands love your wife is agape love. And agape love is the highest form of love. Because agape love is the kind of love God demonstrates to you. So John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that's for God so agape the world that he gave his only son. When we have Christ love the church here, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, agape your wives as Christ agaped the church. And agape love, folks, is an emotionless, if you will, kind of love. It's not fixated on emotion where phileo is more emotional. But agape love is unconditional. Agape love really revolves around action. So the way you'll know I'm agape loving you is by my actions, is what Paul is saying. And that's the command he gives to husbands. Husbands, agape love your wife. And if you're unclear as to how you should do that, here's the parallel. As Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. 
And so the role of a husband is to love his wife. And we'll talk about how to practically do that in just a moment. Look at verse 28 now. So husbands also ought to love their wives as what? As their own body. Okay? So you're to love your wife, and I'll just put a little addendum here. As your own body, according to 528. And I'll show you the significance of that in just a second. We have in 1 Peter, husbands are to honor their wives. Uh, that's 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands are to honor their wives. We have in Matthew, until death. I'll just put death there. I hope you know what I mean by that. It doesn't mean you're to die, but rather that you are to be married until death. Matthew 19. In Ephesians 5.31, look at 5.31. For this, man, a ca- uh, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. I believe what Paul is saying there is your role as a husband is to treat your wife. And I don't think I'm stepping out on this one. I think it's to treat your wife second only to Christ. It's so important that you, be, that you leave your family and become one flesh, that you become united like that. That Paul references it here in verse 31. He goes all the way back to Genesis 2 and says, this is how you're to treat your wife. You're to leave your family. You're to put her above everything else except Christ. As you become one, just like Christ has become with the church. Because he says this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So I believe that it's fair to say you you are to treat your wife Second only to Christ. Um, we have here in Proverbs. Let me just finish the list here. We have in Proverbs, you're to teach your children, men. You're to train them up in the ways of the Lord. That's Proverbs 6. I believe you're to lead your family. And again, that's Ephesians 5, 23 and following. Let's stop there for... Oh, let me give you one more, actually, because I think this is huge. Proverbs... In fact, turn to Proverbs if you... No, let's... let's, Let me just get through this. Proverbs 5. I'm going to put this in big letters. Gentlemen, I think one of our roles as husbands, in fact, I know it is, is to be faithful. Proverbs 5, we'll look at... In fact, let's go there. Turn, take your Bibles. Go to Proverbs 5 real quick. Proverbs chapter 5, let's start in, uh, start in 15. One of the roles, I believe, for a husband is to be faithful. Proverbs 5, let's start in verse 15. Solomon is instructing his son on marriage. And Solomon says this, he says, Son, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? But let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. It's interesting. Solomon says there to his son, 
Um, when is the last time you gave thanks for your wife? When is the last time you rejoiced in the wife of your youth, son? As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Enjoy the physical pleasures of your marriage. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all of his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he will go astray. I think Solomon is making the point here. One of the roles you have, husbands, is to remain faithful to your wife. If I were to poll your wives tonight and ask her, How faithful has your husband been since you've been married? I wonder how the discussion would go. Now, husbands, I think most of us, if if we're being honest, we can say, well, I've never cheated on my wife. And then we have to introduce, and and I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but I think we have to introduce this issue of pornography and ask ourselves, are you cheating on your wife? When you're dabbling in pornography. I'll bet I'd get a different answer from her than I would from you. Um, I, I don't, they can't pull this up, I don't think. Um, but uh, guys, the, the statistics are basically a couple clicks away. If you just Google pornography statistics. Listen to this. Pornography statistics every second... is being spent on pornography. Every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is being created in the U.S. Uh, We all know the revenues, and so I won't get into this, but here's what I found interesting. This was in 2006. They did a search engine keyword trend, and they looked at words like porn, triple X, and sex, okay? If we look at the word porn... How many times was porn punched into a search engine? The number one city in the U.S. that it was punched in was Elmhurst, Illinois. The number four city in the U.S., Chandler, Arizona. So that means two things. One, don't ever move to Elmhurst. And two... This is not a that's about them issue. If we're number four in the number of U.S. cities who punch porn into a search engine for a keyword. Chandler, Arizona. The, tr- the keyword triple X. Number one, Elmhurst, Illinois. Yeesh. Number seven, Chandler, Arizona. So maybe you thought, well, maybe it's just a bunch of doctoral students doing research on pornography and that's why it bumped the numbers up in Chandler. Well, then they also punched in triple X a lot. The word sex, number one, Elmhurst, Illinois. What is going on over there? Number 10, Chandler, Arizona. It's right here. It's, it's right in our backyards. Um, the statistics are alarming. And again, I, I don't think we need to, to um, 
digress into a number of statistics, but it's just a click away to realize that's happening all around us. And so then we come to church on Sundays or here on Tuesdays and we read scriptures like Proverbs. And I'm telling you, gentlemen, we are to be faithful to our wives. I can't imagine any way of justifying a healthy diet of pornography and and somehow saying I'm still faithful just because I haven't physically slept with somebody else. I don't see how we can justify that any longer. We've got to get a handle on that guys, because our wives are saying, or our girlfriends are saying, I don't know what else to do. And I've heard testimonies of wives and girlfriends saying, I will just give into it then. That's his form of entertainment. When their heart is really crying out, please God, make them stop. You, we got to get a, you got to get a handle on it. You have to get accountability, get some filters on your computers and your phone. You've got, we've got to do it. If we're going to fulfill the role of a faithful husband. This word love, it back to a turn, turn back to Ephesians. This word love has attached to it the idea of providing and protecting our wives. Watch what I mean by this. And, and when I mean protecting, this is why I challenge us that are into pornography. I challenge you because I don't think you're protecting your wife. Nor do I think you're providing for her when you're engaged in pornography. I just can't see how you are. This is what Paul has to say. Look at Ephesians 5 in terms of love. Look at down at verse 28. He says, Husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Again, He who agapes his own wife agapes himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he does two things. Watch this. He nourishes it and he cherishes it just as Christ also does for the church to nourish your body. What do I need to do for my body to nourish it? I need to provide for it. I need to provide clothing for my body and food for my body. So I nourish my body. And then secondly, I cherish my body, meaning I take care of my body. The same word here that he uses for cherish is also found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where where Paul is speaking of God. And listen how he describes God. He says, but we, uh, Paul says, I'm sorry, he's describing himself. He says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares, cherishes her own children. He's saying, this is the way we treated you in Thessalonica. We tenderly cared for you. And the same word he uses here for a husband nourishing and cherishing his own body. You are to do the same to your wife. You are to take care of her, gentlemen. You are to provide for her. And you are to cherish her. Like a mother would cherish her own children. That's the, that's the image Paul wants us to have when we look at our wives. Do we look at our wives like that? Do you cherish your wife in such a way that when you look at her, you think nothing else I want to do but take care of you. I want to provide for you and I want to protect you. Let's talk about provision for just a moment. Turn to First Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
I'll ask the question, we'll read the verse and then I'll take your comments. Can I be, if, if, if this is my role, okay, I'm to love my wife and by that I mean provide and protect her. And by providing and protecting means that I take care of her. And I take care of her emotional needs, her physical needs, and her spiritual needs. If I'm doing that, my question is this, practically speaking. Can I be a stay-at-home dad? Okay, so think about that. Is there room in the Bible, men, to fulfill the role of a husband? And for most of us, when we become husbands, we become fathers at some point. Can I fulfill the role of being a husband and a father and be what we would deem today as a stay-at-home dad? That my wife is out making the bank and I'm raising the kids. Okay, so think about that. As we read chapter 5 in 1 Timothy. Uh, pick it up in verse 8. Chapter 5, verse 8 of 1 Timothy. Paul tells Timothy this, But if anyone does not provide for his own... And especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, what I want to do is just kind of back up just a few verses here, because I've often heard this verse preached and the hammer comes down hard, gentlemen, on us. And I've heard, you know, therefore, I don't care if you have to get a job at Circle K. I don't care if you got to flip burgers. You're going to provide for your family. Because if you don't, you are considered to be an unbeliever. And I've heard that just hammered home. And I'm asking the question, okay, that's fine if that's what Paul is saying. So let's just back up to the larger context, which begins in 5.1. And without reading the whole passage, I'll tell you this. What Paul is referring to here, the, the, the context here is widows. And the context is, is, is back in the day, if, if you lost your husband, you had no form of income as a woman. And so Paul is claiming, unless she gets remarried and, you know, think of, of some of the older women who lose their husbands, the chances of them getting remarried are slim. What are they to do? They're to go live with their sons, primarily their sons. And what Paul is saying is, is God forbid there should be a son. Can you imagine a son, an adult son, who would refuse to take his own mother in and provide for her and care for her? Can you even imagine a situation like that? And that's why then he drops in verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, meaning his own family, and especially those of his household, nuclear family... Then he has denied the faith in his words and unbeliever. Now, can we conclude from that verse that you should provide for your own family? Absolutely. I just want to bring, I just want to bring a broader context to it. Okay. And say that the primary focus here, I believe, was that Paul was saying, you need to provide for your family this way, not family this way. With that said, with loving your wife by protecting and providing for her and First Timothy chapter 5, I'll ask the question again. Is it possible to be a stay-at-home dad and fulfill the biblical role of a husband or a father? I think it's possible, yes. So, well, so you know what I'm going to ask. What, what's that? Why? Um, so I, the the word provide, and maybe you can explain sure. um, in in Greek exactly the definition for what he says there. But if you're talking about providing, 
the man can do a heck of a lot more than just going to work by providing for his family. And so, so may, are you saying then his provision comes in the form of raising the kids? And, well, I mean, just for instance, in today's society, obviously I didn't have this back then, but um, fixing the car and keeping the house, you know, painting the house or, sure. you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, not, not that no female ever does that, but it's primarily done by males that kind of work. So that's another way to provide so you don't have to pay somebody else to do it. Absolutely. It, provision goes way beyond a paycheck. Right. Okay. But my question, I guess, just to keep the conversation going, would be it goes way beyond a paycheck, but does it include a paycheck? Just tap on the mic a couple Somebody times. Somebody come back on. take it from here. Thanks. Because <laughs> you're right. I agree. You're right. It, it, we're not just talking about, okay, every two weeks, here's my provision. Because, ladies, you'll admit you would rather not have a husband do that. If all he's going to do is bring home a paycheck, but he's not involved with your life, he's a workaholic, he's not involved with the kids' lives, you would just assume somehow balance that equation with either work less, get a different job, but I need to, for you to provide for me in other ways than just a paycheck every two weeks. So I, I think we're good on that. I think the question is, though, but does it include the paycheck along with the other provisions? Yeah. All right, I'm going to begin by saying this is my opinion, my life experience, so no offense to anybody out there. I've already lived this, and I think you have to understand there's a lot of things at play. If you're in a family, you have to look at the long term uh, of what's going to happen to your family. So when my wife and I got married, she was already in a very stable job. She was a teacher. She had the benefits. She had everything. Yeah. And I was in a very untraditional field, which was kind of like, you know, hit and miss on any given day. So when we had our daughter, I stayed home, and my rationale was that long-term, it's better for the benefit of my family because, you know, if she left her profession, three years later, she really couldn't pick back up again. Right. But I could. Okay. And I have to say that, you know, it's a little bit different now. I think it's been a little more acceptable. But at that time, which is only about seven years ago, yeah, everywhere I went, Everyone said to me, oh, it's Daddy's Day with the daughter. Isn't that sweet? No one even conceived that I was taking care of this little full time. girl full time. Yeah. You know? and, uh, Do you mind me asking, was, that, was it the plan for that to be a season? Or was it the plan for that to be indefinite? Or just roll the dice and see how it goes? Or Well, it was, it was more because we got married later in life. It was, it was more like, one, you know, we wanted to have a child. And two, I was fervent in the fact that no one else was going to raise my child. Mm. You know, I could have easily, and later on I tried it for a year where I went back to work and had, when she was old enough to go into a, a preschool, right. and we did that part-time. Right. But I was just definite that, no, until she was old enough to go to school, I wasn't going to have a stranger mm. raising my child. Sure. You know, and again, I wasn't going to sacrifice, you know, my wife having everything she did prior to us getting married yeah. go to the wayside. And, you know, I'm personally, I'm pretty proud of it. I'm pretty proud of the relationship I have with my daughter. And, and I think it strengthened my role as a father because, you know, again, no offense to anybody, I know 
plenty of people that have kids, and I know very few people that are fathers, and I know plenty of people that have kids, and I know very few people that are mothers. And I think you have to decide where your lines are and say, look, you know, I'm going to take some hits. I'm going to do what I must for the greater good of my family. Yeah. Rather than just say, well, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is a role I'm supposed to fulfill. Okay. Very much appreciate your honesty and, and transparency. I really do. Um, I've, I've got a couple thoughts. Any? Okay. I think that we're, we, we, we approach, um, I know I do. Often I approach scripture with my life and I say, some, I've got to, I've got to look around me at my circumstances. And I've got to make and maneuver and make decisions. And, and if it works with God's word, great. If it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. And when we come to these issues, guys, of, of husbands and wives, what I want us to understand tonight is there is great wisdom in what God has set forth for you and for me in our various roles. It's not by mistake. It's not by chance. I think this is a prescription for a successful marriage. Uh, in fact, I know that. The issue is, God, how do I do it when, when everything around me seems to be upside down or it's going against what these are or seem to be seem to be suggesting how, how can I do that successfully? So I want to conclude that little episode of should can you be a stay-at-home dad with, with simply just this statement? I'm not convinced based on what I read in the scriptures that for a for an extended period of time that can be the permanent role of the husband. I, I don't see examples of it. I don't see how I can, I can maneuver these texts around to where, where I'm at home the majority of the time and my wife is the breadwinner the majority of the time for an extended season of our marriage. I'm not sure I can, I can make that work from the Bible. Can I make it work culturally? Absolutely. Can I make it work because our debt-to-income ratio is just out of whack? Absolutely. Can I make it work because, you know, here's the deal. I graduated with a business degree. She graduated with a law degree. She makes four times what I make. It makes more sense. Financially, I'll never make what she could make. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I hear you. But at the end of the day, you have to and I have to go before the word of God. And we've got to decide what is the word saying. So I'm not trying to sidestep this and I'm not trying to get out of it. I think, I think like you, I have a personal opinion. I'm not convinced it's something I'm going to die over. But my personal conviction is when I take this role here, Okay, I take this person here who's doing this, and I take this person here who's doing this, and I put them together. My picture is, I see a guy 
who is doing more of the um, provision spiritually, financially, and emotionally. And I see more of a woman who is doing the provision by way of raising kids and training up kids and, uh, and managing a successful household. Now, again, I, I was using very careful terms there. Um, not always and not never, but rather generally, the majority of our marriage looks something like that. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, this is the list we generated from the Bible, and that's the conclusion I'm drawing from that. Hey, I, I was going to add that just generally... Hold it up just a little closer. Thanks. I, I was going to add that just generally speaking, I think that we as men... Uh, oftentimes earn, uh, yearn to be the breadwinner. Like, I don't know, I've never been in the situation, but I have friends who have. And when their wives make more money than them, they feel a, a sense of inadequacy, I guess, if you will. And I, I think that God wired us that way, um, to want to be the breadwinner. And uh, again, that's a generalization. I don't know that that's the case uh, indefinitely. Um, and then one other thing is, I was wondering if you had any other scripture in which we could refer to uh, on the provider note. On providing for our wives? Yeah. Sure. You said something about, um, okay, two people went to college, got married, but one uh, graduated with a law degree, one graduated with a business degree. So if both... Let's, let's say communications degree. That would make more... If both, if, both, if both spouses work full-time, but the wife makes more money, well, how do you feel about that? Do they have kids? They have kids. Okay. Um, so those of us who have been married for a little bit, I was married for 13 years before my wife uh, was killed in a car accident. Uh, my fiance Jennifer, she was married for 13 years. Um, some of us have been married for a lot longer, some a lot less, but... I guess I come at it with a little bit of, of credibility to say uh, my experiential knowledge has me conclude this. A husband that works full time, because I've done it, my, my former wife and I did it, we tried to do it, um, and, and a wife that works full time, even without kids, uh, is good for the bank, and it's a lot of stress on the marriage. Um, it provides great discussion, certainly provides for some vacations here and there, and maybe a bigger home, maybe a couple more uh, toys to play with. But at the end of the day, every one of us who has worked full-time and then some, we know what that does to us. We know the pressures and the stresses that that brings into our lives. Uh, my wife was a nurse over at PCH. She would often come home on Tuesdays and Thursdays. She worked 12-hour shifts. She worked two days a week, and that about drove us to get counseling because just because i would get home at 5 36 and i got we at that time we had three kids and i and i get home and try to work the kids and then she wouldn't get home until about 8 30 or 9 at night she would come in she's beat tired i'm about my eyes are half asleep and then she'd ask questions like how was your day tell me about your life and tell you know and you gotta be kidding me and that was just every tuesday and thursday Every Tuesday and Thursday when I had something going on like this on a Tuesday night, she's working. She, can, she can't be here to discuss on the way home, what did you mean by that? And what do you think about that? She's bringing in some bank. And let's just be honest, I, I'm a teacher, she was a nurse, she made more than I did. So, so experientially I say this, um, 
it becomes a very, very unique marriage when both people are working full-time. Can it be successful? Yeah, anything can be successful, uh, I'd imagine. Is it the norm, though, that you would, you would get this out of both people? That when you're working 40, 50 hours and he's working 40, 50 hours, you can go down this list and he can go down this list and you both can say successfully without any, any uh, being ashamed of anything, say, we're doing this very, very well. I would argue, I'm not sure how you can. I honestly don't. Really, if you can, write a book and sell it because, because I'll buy it. I, this is time-consuming. This, let's admit it, gentlemen, this is emotionally time-consuming. Because providing and caring for your wife and, and loving her the way Christ loved the church means you are serving her. Which means that you have to come home at 5.30 or 6 and say, Honey, what can I help you with? Honey, how can I help you tonight? This does not mean, gentlemen, that we come home and after dinner go sit on the couch and start flipping through Netflix. This means that we say, Honey, you look a little... Looks like the kids got the best of you today. I'll do the dishes. I'll do the laundry. And guys, listen to me carefully. That's not with her asking you to do the laundry. See, Christ didn't go to the church and ask the church, how can I serve you? Christ went to the church and served the church. He sacrificed for his bride. And Paul draws this very clear analogy. Husbands, you are to do the same. And as I mentioned last week, this is what we need to do, gang. We don't need to turn these toward each other and say, are you doing this? Then I'll do this. But rather we go before God and say, God, this is my role as a husband. I want to do this the absolute best I can because I don't know how many days you're going to give me with my wife. I'll tell you right now, the biggest regret I have is not doing this as well as I could have. And then I get a call from or knock on the door from Gilbert PD saying you don't get any more chances so whatever you did for 13 years you'll be held accountable for for your first marriage and and it's got to look something like this notice what's not on here and notice what's not on here don't focus on if you're doing other things that aren't on here my encouragement tonight I guess guys would be focus on what's on here I think there are a few other things, but I would say if you did this and did this well, men, you're going to be a catch. Because your wife won't stop talking about you. Because this is abnormal. This just doesn't happen. What frustrates me the most when I go to couples Bible studies and I hear the men break up and the women break up into their prayer groups or they get in their groups is the wives just complain about their husbands. And they're justified. They're not complaining like, oh, I just have nothing to complain about. I just feel like they're saying, I just wish my husband would do a little bit more of this. I'm not asking for much. I'm just asking for a little bit. Right? So, so I would say our, roles is to, our role is to focus on what is on my side of the ledger. Rather than, let's face the roles together and let me just now go down your checklist. The drive home tonight doesn't need to be about, did you hear what Greg was saying and are you doing this? But rather, did I hear what Greg was saying and am I doing this? Uh, I'm getting married in 52 days. I have a little app on my iPad and it counts down. I'm excited. 
And so guys, as I'm preparing these Tuesday night lessons, I am really giving this thought. In fact, I got just kind of, um, I got kind of pale the other night as I'm reading through this. And I, cause I looked at this list as I wrote it out. See, this isn't just, I'm going to teach you. This is in 52 days, I'm going to say I do to somebody and she has every right to expect this from me for the next 10, 20, 30 years. So I looked at this list very, very carefully. And here was my question to myself. Is Jennifer the woman that I want to do this for? I don't know if we've ever asked that question when we're dating. I know I didn't when I dated Leanne millions of years ago. I didn't ask, is she the woman that I'll do this for? But rather I was looking at it as, is she the woman that will do this for me? Big difference. Ladies, if you're over here and you're dating or ask yourself tonight, am, am I sitting across the table from a man that I can do this for? Because if I can't, if you're dating, I, you, that's a red flag. But if you're already married till death do you part, you've got to work on this then. Okay, I, one more thought. But uh, was there a comment? Yeah. You know, when, in my situation, I had the luxury where we could do that. And when you're talking about, you know, both of them working, yeah. you know, that's good for the bank yeah. and everything like that. But I think that's a really unrealistic view about what's happening right now. I think there's a lot of people, probably even more than 60%. Yeah, but double income. They, yeah, they have yeah. to to survive. Yeah, but my question is why? Because, why why, are, why yeah. do we have dinks all over the place? Why do we have what? Uh, double income families. I'm not talking about the luxury, you know, let's buy some extra vehicles. I'm talking about the families that are out there. Both of them are taking a bus to and from the job. They're working two or three jobs to try to make it kind of families. Yeah, see, because, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really politely disagree. I don't, think, I don't think both people are working because they're living below their means and they're just getting knocked around and they're just trying to cut their teeth. Not, not, I, here, not here in Chandler, but if you want to go with me. Okay, but that's where we're at. That, this is, that's where we're at. I got that, but you know, you got to speak to the broader society if you're right. going to talk about society. If you're going to quote statistics, yeah. you got to look at the Okay, but thing, let, let's know? just focus in-house here. What do you, okay. no, seriously, middle, upper middle income families, what do you really think is the reason both, both spouses are working? It's consumerism. Okay, it's, it's, all right, so let's just admit it. I admit that wholeheartedly, okay. but, but we are the exception, not the rule. Absolutely, and, and, that's, and please hear me, okay? You can be in this room tonight the exception. Um, Jennifer, when I was, we were talking about this the other, the other night, and I was, you know, I'm going to bring this up, and we talked about this issue of what if, there's, what if the guy can work from home? What if I can telecommute? Okay, so there are a number of variables that play into this, okay? I'm using a standard, I go away to work for 40 hours, scenario. And so please hear me. I know there are a number of different variables, but I'm going to very, very strongly argue a number of us who are double income families do it because either we want to live at this level or our debt to income ratio will not allow us to have a single income. And in both examples, I will conclude this. They're unbiblical. They just are. I, I don't know how else to politely say that. Both examples are unbiblical. You cannot find an example in the Bible where God's saying, go out and spend as much as you want, rack up debt, and just figure out a way then to stressfully live the rest of your lives to pay off that debt. 
God forbid you should die before you pay it off and your kids inherit it. Okay, you're right. Yeah, if you didn't hear me, he said that's the American way of life. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, I'm just not sure it's the biblical way of life. And, and, I, and please, I'm not preaching like, hey, I'm living in downtown Phoenix or something. I'm trying to figure that out myself. We had a very frank discussion the other day. She's got a preschool just hounding her. Come work for us. Come work for us. Come work for us. And we're trying to decide. We have five kids coming up in, in, we have five kids coming up in June here trying to decide, wouldn't it be great for another paycheck? If I failed to mention, I'm a teacher. So, so we have to wrestle with that. So this isn't like case study stuff for us. This is like, God, what do you want to do with, with our situation? We're, we're trying the best, and I would encourage all of us to try the best to go against what is popular culture. And rather, really, God, maybe I'm going to be the example in my neighborhood. Maybe I'm going to be the example to my family. What do you mean you're downsizing? It's what we're doing. Can, can you show me biblically where it does state that a woman should not work? Uh, so I use the Titus 2.5 passage, which says that she's to manage her household. Right, but that does not say she should not work. Correct. And as we, as we concluded last week, there's nothing on here that says do not work. Okay. But conversely, there's nothing on here that says you have to work. Whereas I would argue, by providing for your family, I'm going to argue you should work. And, and I'll bring that all the way back to, to even Adam naming the animals as a form of work. As the leader, that's what he was doing. That's what we should be doing as men. I, so th- that's what I'm And suggesting. I totally agree with that, by yeah. the way. But I, I'm just... Uh, You're right. It, there's I nothing on here that says don't work. Okay, but where does it say if the woman does work, thou shalt not make more money than her husband? Right. Because I appreciate your 13 years of experience. Right. But I just, my point is, I, you've said a couple times we need to focus on our roles. Correct. I fully agree with that. Right. However, I think we are focusing tonight too much on who the breadwinner is. Um, because I am married. I yeah. have three children. Yep. We both work. My wife makes more money than me. And looking at your list, which I agree with, I can say I feel like we do that to the best of our abilities. Great. And, and like I said to this couple, write a book. I, and I'm not kidding on that. You need to write it down and figure out uh, because you've done it against the odds. If, you're do, if she's doing this successfully and working full time and you're doing this successfully and working full time or providing... You've beaten the odds. This is why we get divorced. We don't get divorced because we woke up one day and said, I have nothing better to do. I'm getting divorced. We get divorced because I'm not fulfilling my roles over here and I'm not fulfilling my roles over here. And now we're lobbing those at each other. If you would just, I would just. Absolutely. And like I said, I agree with everything you've said. Just not being super familiar with the Bible, still learning it. Yeah, I'm just and wanting to say, I, I just phenomenal questions, really on good. The breadwinner tonight, but statistically, since we were on statistics, right. divorce is one out of every two couples anyway. Correct. So even if you're doing it correctly, with the man being the breadwinner, we're still, still hard focusing on the roles. Still hard. Okay, so and there's nothing biblically. Uh, you used your experience with 13 years of marriage, which I appreciate that as well. Correct. But biblically, there's nothing that says that a woman that a woman should not work. Absolutely. Okay. 
Yep. Great, great clarification. Yeah. Um, we're, we are out of time. And so um, I want to wrap it up with just this one comment. People, um, people look at this list, wives and husbands, you look at this list and you say, oh, I'm sorry. Great. Yeah, let's, let's. I was going to use the word wise. Well, I can only say, where were you 53 years ago? My wife and I have been married 57 years ago. It would have been good to hear this a long time ago. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for being married that long. I'm serious. Thank you very much. We both worked full-time our whole life. Hmm. Fran's a nurse, director of nurses. Amen. um, And I was in corporate world. We both came from one-parent families. We came from nothing. And so we were going to chase the American dream as hard as we could. There were four kids, four boys. And the one thing we did agree upon is that any time we had would be devoted to the boys. And so we did that. Hmm. I'll tell you this. I was a stay-at-home dad. Yeah especially very early when Fran was now finished school and I was working on my degree, I was a stay-at-home dad because Fran went to work at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and would come home at 11. I went to school early and I'd take care of the kids. I was a dismal failure Um, because I didn't even do the dishes at night until I heard Fran pulling into the driveway (laughs) and then I'd run to try and get the dishes done. It didn't work. But we worked at it. Yeah. And even though in our past we were divorced from one another. Yeah. And the reason we're here tonight is because we both came to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And so a lot of what you say is so right. I don't know. We kept chasing the dream and we did well. Our kids turned out pretty good. Good. Degrees, jobs, the whole thing. Yeah. But it would have been better for Fran if I had heard this a long time ago. Because I did not fulfill my role as a husband most of the time. She did most of it. Yeah. And so I thank you so much for those comments. I really do appreciate them. Um, I will say this, guys, I think that, that, Women want to fulfill these roles. And they try, and they try, and they try. But we're just, we struggle with these roles. We just do. They go counterculture. It's servant leadership, and we're not used to that. Um, it's, it's active love, and we're not used to that. Um, I was going to conclude with First Peter 3, which says... Greg, what if, what if I'm trying my best to do this and I'm getting nothing back? How do I do that? So let's pick that up next week and we'll get you out of here. And we're going to throw kids in the mix next week too, okay? Uh, Ephesians 6.1. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for tonight and thanks for a lively discussion. Um, God, thanks that I don't think anyone here is claiming to know it all. And God, I'm thankful that uh, we can have these discussions about how to live life well, but uh, they involve your word. God, may we be servants of the word, faithful stewards of learning. 
because we know that your word instructs and it teaches, it rebukes, it exhorts. God, that, that's my desire. My desire is to not make this theoretical, um, but very, very practical. Pray for our marriages in here, Father, for those who are married. And pray that you would bless them with grace this week and forgiveness and that they would be able to look at each other with, with some unbridled passion and love this week. And that there would be great conversations to be had, great acts of service to be given. We'll look forward to meeting again next week in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for sticking around.